0: Okay, well, as Jenna and I were discussing earlier, we do start a brand new talk series entitled Stand Strong. And the team and I, over the next few weeks, are going to be unpacking Ephesians 6 together on the whole armour of God. Now, let me kick off by asking you guys a question. And for you guys in the room, here's the question as well. If you were to describe what the Christian life was like as a metaphor, how would you describe it? Have a think. At home, send your answers in on chat. How would you describe it? Maybe a picnic, a party, a race, a mountain climb. Many ways we can describe the Christian walk. Well, in the New Testament, um, we can see some metaphors that are being used. And it actually surrounds around a couple of different types of metaphors. What about this famous one, Hebrews 12? The writer to the Hebrews says, It is a race in Hebrews 12. Run the race, he says, doesn't he? Run the race and throw off all the sin that hinders you and fix your eyes on the prize. So there you go. There's a metaphor, a race. How many of you said a race? Well done, tick. (laughs) But the Apostle Paul talks about uh, the Christian life in similar ways. There's 1 Corinthians, and we're going to list some of these verses up if you want to take some notes for a bit of homework. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race, there it is again, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way to take the prize. What about 1 Corinthians 9.26, a couple of verses on. Therefore, he's talking about himself now. I do not run aimlessly. Aimlessly. I do not fight. There you go. He's uh, using the metaphor of a fight. Like I am beating the air. What about Romans 13.12? The night is nearly over. The day has drawn near. Sounds very poetic, doesn't it? So let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and what? Put on the armor of light. There you go, another metaphor of fighting. To Timothy. So he writes to Timothy. He, Paul realizes that he's coming, knows that he's coming to the end of his ministry and he writes this in 4.7. I fought, there we go, the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the the faith. So what do all these things tell us? Well, it tells us that actually this Christian walk is not a party and a picnic. I mean, we do have wonderful moments. You know, I don't know about you, has anyone ever said to you, oh, that Christian thing is just a crutch. How easy is that being a Christian? Really, have you tried being a Christian? (laughs) It isn't easy. It is a fight. Maybe you're feeling the fight at the moment, hands up. You know, the, the thing about a race is you've got to put effort into it. I love seeing my children at sports day. I missed that last year. Some of you parents might have done as well. When they get ready and they're putting all the effort in that they can. They want to get to the end. They want to be number. You know, that is the Christian walk. It requires us to put effort into it. Being a Christian isn't about saying, right, I've got my ticket to heaven. Now I can just sit back and relax. It doesn't work like that. If you are living your life like that, then I would respectively say you're not moving forward, you're sliding back. But of course, there is no better passage, I think, that talks about the Christian life than Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. And that's what we're going to spend the next few weeks on. Because it is, of course, about the whole armour of God and how we are to stand strong. Now, um, Gavin talked about Breakthrough, our weekly prayer meeting, and I was there last Tuesday as we were praying as a team. And what was amazing is uh, Michael Bailey, uh, I think Lissy as well, and, um, were, were praying, and they brought up, they were praying about standing strong. And in fact, Michael Bailey said, I feel like God is saying to us, we need to put on the armor of God. And during that time, Roger Chowler was on the call. He was doodling this. I've got a picture here to show you. Check this out. Let's put that on the screen. There it is. Look at that. So at the end, Roger's so wonderful. He just doodled this. Look at that. Bless you, Roger. So at the end of this, I said, guys, this is amazing. That's what I'm preaching on this Sunday. And they went, oh, isn't God good? He is, absolutely. And Roger said, well, look at this doodle, which I've just showed you. I said, Roger, send it to me. Let's encourage everyone by showing that picture. So bless you. You know, God is speaking God, you know, God is intentional in what he speaks to his church. Nothing is an accident, you know, nothing is an accident. So we are going to look at this, and I would like you at this point to get your Bibles out. Ephesians 6, let's look at this together, 1020. And this morning is really going to, going to be an introductory type of talk to set the foundations and the stage for the coming weeks as we unpack it together. But why don't we turn together, it'll be on the screen at home and here in the building, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then he goes on to say, to pray also for him, but we'll end it at that point. Now, I want to start where Paul starts with this word, finally. Why, why does he use the word finally? Now, you could be forgiven, if I can get my words out, <laughs> that, that this was some kind of postscript. You know, Paul has said the important stuff, and then he comes in and he goes, oh, hold on, finally, before I forget, and for those of you who love a kind of a bit of spiritual warfare, let me just say this. It wasn't an add-on. You see, what we see in Paul's letters is a form, a structure that he uses. And what we see is at the end of the letters, there is what we call an exhortation or an appeal, which essentially summarizes everything that has come before to say, right, therefore, go do X, Y, and Z. And so in order for us as way of an introduction to this series, to fully understand the context of the full armour of God, we need to understand what comes before from chapters 1 and 5. We need to understand the theme of Ephesians. So what is the theme? I'm glad you asked, thank you. It is that Christ has reconciled all creation to himself and that as Christians we are called, therefore, to be different than the world, to live for. Christ. In fact, chapter 4, if you've got your Bible open, you can just flick a page. Ephesians is not a long book. May I just say, can I suggest that during this week you read the book of Ephesians? It won't take you long. It's uh, you know six chapters. You're going to find it really beneficial as a foundation for this uh, talk series and indeed for your life. But in 4, there's a section here that says instructions for Christian living uh, in chapter 4, and it goes on in 5. You know, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. It says, follow God's example and walk in the way of love, just as Christ has loved us and give himself up for us. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. You know, there shouldn't be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, but rather thanksgiving, no immoral or impure or greedy person, such a person's idolatry. He talks about what it means... To be a Christian, to walk that Christian life, to be holy. What does holy mean? It means to be set apart for God. And so the theme, therefore, is because you know we can walk in all that, because Christ has reconciled the whole of creation, we are therefore to live in that way. But at the end, what I love about Paul, Paul is very pastoral. He doesn't get to the end and say, all right, that's it. Go do it. Simple, isn't it? It's easy to walk this life. It's easy for you to love your neighbor, it's easy to, you know, not get drunk, it's easy not to have foolish talk, it's easy, etc., etc., etc. But Paul says, finally, let me therefore tell you. And in fact, I suspect if Paul was speaking to us now, this is how he would say it. <clears throat> okay, guys. I don't know if he speaks like that, but I assume he does. Given everything I've said, what you need to know is this pay attention. That in order to walk (laughs) in all that God has for you, to live the way God calls you to, to walk in the fullness that Christ has purchased on the cross with his precious blood, you need to understand that it won't be easy. This is a battle. There will be opposition, not of flesh and blood which you can counteract with physical weapons. No, no, no. But the enemy in the spiritual realm who is his schemes to get you off track, to deter you, to push you off course. Course. But good news. <laughs> you can be victorious if you avail yourself of the armor that God provides for you. It's a spiritual armor. Which means you can stand strong, fight the good fight, and walk in all that God has for you. So here it is. Let me tell you. (laughs) See, that is what this is about. It's in the context that when we walk with Christ and walk in all he has for us, we will face opposition. You know, a good question to ask at this point would be, okay, Lord, why are you highlighting this now for us as a church? Good question. And as I said to you at the start, you know, God is intentional in the word, his message for us as a people. You know, I don't just sit down and go, oh, wouldn't it be pleasant to talk about this? No, seek God and say, Lord, what have you got for us? What do you want to say to us at this time? And so think about this. This series, listen, comes after Our previous series called First, right? And what was the first series about? It was about how we seek him first for our peace, a peace which surpasses all understanding, a peace which is a gift of God, not based on circumstances, but on the very person of Christ, that we seek him for our protection, that we seek Jesus first for our purpose, that we seek Jesus first in all things. And so listen, rather than this series being unrelated, it comes with an appeal saying, and finally, (laughs) you're going to need to put on the full armour of God. Do you see this? You know, we need to realise that the moment you say, yes, I'm going to put Jesus first, you're going to come against opposition. Well, what's the point? The enemy will lie to you. What's the point of that? What's the point of looking to Jesus for protection? He doesn't care about you. Or I'm going to make a choice to put Jesus first in the morning and spend time in his word. Oh, you're just too tired for that. What's the point? Or the kids play up, or this and the other. You see, let's not be naive about this. We are in a spiritual battle. The enemy does not want you to move forward. But good news, we can be victorious. You can stand strong. You know, I believe that the church, the church global, is about to see an increased harvest of souls. And I believe that's already started to happen in ways that we cannot even imagine or fathom. But I also do believe that we are heading into a season where the conflict will heat up. I genuinely believe that. You know, I am seri- I'm increasingly seeing people come against increased health issues Relationship issues, unforgiveness, bitterness, fear, and I have to say it, apathy. Temptations. I know in my own life, Steph and I, as a family, we have seen the conflict heat up, the battle raging against us. We thank you and value your prayers as we pray, indeed, for all of us as a church. But you know, the the harder you push forward, the bigger the onslaught. You see, let me just say this. Conflict is evidence that you are pushing forward. Do we all agree? Those of us who have been walking this walk for long enough, can we attest to that? Yeah. Conflict is evidence that you are pushing forward. And the thing the enemy would love to deceive you on is this. I don't really exist. What exists is only what you see. That's the lie. There is no spiritual battle. That pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. Paul was just being poetic. Now, I don't want to bring this up to scare you, but prepare you. That's my job as your pastor, to care for you, care for the flock. And that's what Paul was doing here pastorally, saying, listen, I'm going to tell you that we need to live this life, but I want to equip you with how you can do so because you're going to face conflict. You know, I'm not here to elevate the devil and for us to cower. The whole point of this series is for us to see, listen, that we can be victorious, that we can stand strong, that Christ has already disarmed the enemy. The battle has already won as we'll see in a moment. And can I just say, when I talk to Christians, I normally find two opposing views on this subject. You've got those on the extreme that are like, well, no, there is no spiritual battle, you know. I don't know what you're talking about. It's a bit of a naivety which ignores the spiritual. But then on the other extreme, you have those that see a spiritual battle in absolutely everything, you know. I lost my keys, the devil took my keys away, you know. Oh, I made that mistake, oh, that devil. No, no, you know, we make mistakes. <laughs> and what they do inadvertently is, uh, is, 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 you know, elevate the devil and give him the credit for stuff which is just down to human error. So I want us to look at this with a balanced view. And can I just say that, you know, God gives us gifts of discernment to discern. You know, as, as, a, as a Christian, we should say, but why is that opposition happening? Like What's going on here, Lord? How do I pray into this? So, that was the introduction. Having established that we are in a battle, a spiritual battle, as we make a choice to walk this walk with Jesus, what can we learn as way of introduction to this series from this chapter or this passage? And what we're going to do each week, by the way, is unpack each of the armoury, which I think is going to be so exciting. How do we actually use these different things. But I want to give an overview now, and I want to just present four things that we can see from this. Four truths that are going to set you up for success, so to speak. Number one, we can stand strong because Jesus has won the victory. If you're going to get just one thing from this, make sure it's this one thing. Jesus has won the victory. Do I get a hallelujah in the room? Great, there was a response. Do I get a hallelujah at home? Amen. (laughs) You know, one viewpoint on this passage is that Paul was using the example of a Roman soldier for the armory. And if that were the case, what is very interesting, I've done some research on Roman soldiers, is the omission of one particular type of armory that they had. You see, they had two javelins. Now, they're not the type of javelins in the Olympic Games. They were maybe five or seven foot, very similar. I mean, you know, they were made of wood and they had a thing on the end. And it was used for attack, for, for, for an assault, like an attack. But you see, and they're called a pillum, by the way. But Paul doesn't mention this. I find that interesting. Why? Because, as one scholar notes, we start from a position where, if you like, we are defending, and I quote, the crown of the hill. Three times listen Paul says here stand strong stand your ground stand firm We don't need to go looking for a fight and an attack We focus on walking with Jesus and is extending his kingdom Can I just say as an in a parenthesis I know some Christians and I you know he go looking they are like modern day Christian ghostbusters You know they go looking for a fight Don't don't go on, don't do that you focus on Jesus and walk in the walk that he is. And as you face his opposition, then God has given you the armor that you need. There are too many Christians that go off looking for a fight. Don't need to do that. But equally, too many Christians feel like we're the one on retreat and the enemy's the one that's got the upper advantage, upper hand. That is not the case. You see, the enemy is the one having to weary himself constantly attacking us as we extend God's kingdom. As we extend that hill, he's the one being pushed out. Now, of course, we have the sword of the spirit, which we'll look for, we we'll look at later in the series that we can use. But we focus on extending his kingdom. We don't need the javelins. So that's uh, one view. I want to say this again. We often think that we are the weak ones and that the devil's strong. Can I just say... Um, as a side note, I just we elevate evil. What do I mean by that? You know, in, in, in The Avengers and other superhero movies, there's always this equal battle between good and evil, isn't there? That's just that's not that's you know, the devil is a created being. You know that, don't you? God created the devil. He's not omnipresent, he cannot be everywhere at once. He's not omnipowerful, you know, he's not omniscient. Only God is. This is not a story of two opposing evils and and I hope we win. Let's look at what Paul says. You see, he can say that we can stand strong because of what he wrote earlier in the letter to the Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 20. Let's look at this together. He says this, He raised, God raised Christ from the dead and listen, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all, say all, rule and authority, power and dominion. Now, I looked at the Greek for all and it turns out the word all means all. (laughs) All, authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. What about Colossians 2.15? Paul writes this to the church in, in Colossus. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, the very powers and authorities that Paul is referencing in terms of this spiritual battle, he disarmed them. Jesus made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them over the cross. That's why we say the battle is already won. The enemy is on retreat as we extend God's kingdom. It's not the other way around. You know, um, yesterday, Daniel, my little Daniel and Ellie, Steph was with Lucy and I was having a chat with Daniel and Ellie and um, one of them brought up heaven and we were talking about heaven and hell and we were just, we were, it was lovely, we were talking about how amazing heaven's going to be one day and I, I was just so blessed as a father hearing my children talk about how they wanted to be with God and they were excited about that and then Ellie said, uh, but I don't want to die, daddy, I'd, I'd like to be in the rapture. I was like, yeah, me too. By the way, um, if you would like to know more about end time biblical prophecy, I did a, a series in autumn called His Story, which we looked at end time biblical events, uh, the, the event of the rapture of the church, the seven year tribulation period, as it talks about in Revelation, the millennial kingdom of, of Christ, and then uh, a new heaven and new earth. And actually the kids were talking about that. And uh, then they paused and Ellie said to me, daddy are you 100% sure that God wins? I said, yes, darling. And then Daniel turns around and says, Ellie, it's infinity percent, <laughs> which I think was very theologically accurate. <laughs> but God has already won. So what does it mean for us? Well, Ephesians 2, going back to, you know, finally in light of everything I've said, Ephesians 2, 6 says this, and God raised us up with Christ. What? What just happened there? God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Whoa, whoa, take a take a step back. Whoa. So are you telling me that when I said yes to Jesus, as I died with Christ and rose again as a new creation, I rose with Him and was seated. In the, yeah, seated with Him. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. The life I live, I don't live in the flesh, but by the very spirit of Christ in me. Do you get this? And so Paul is saying, finally, you can be strong and victorious because Jesus has already won. And you can sit with him in heavenly places. You know, you are sitting with him in heavenly places. You can avail yourself of this armour. And I want to say at this point and emphasize the point, there is no item for the back here, is there? We are called to stand, not retreat, because it is the enemy that is constantly retreating as we take ground. Are you getting this? I know I'm laboring a point. Let's move on. And so that's why Paul is saying, stand, be strong. Now, can I just say that when it says, finally, be strong in the Lord, it is, isn't right, you've got to get strong. You know, Daniel and I were having a bit of a play fighting yesterday. He loves a bit of a rough and tumble. And uh, I have to hold back, of course, because I'm just so strong. Now he's pretty strong. But there's moments you can kind of see in his face going, come on, Daniel, be strong. God is not saying, be as strong as you can. What this is actually saying is, be strong in the. It's not a be strong of yourself. Actually, if you look at the, the Greek and the way it needs to be translated, a proper rendering is be strengthened in. Okay, it's like... Uh, one of my kids, uh, you know, um, playing or use. one time Daniel was got the screwdriver and he was trying to get screwed. Daddy, I can't do this. And so I put my hand over his and I just tie, unscrewed it with him. You see, that's what it means to be strengthened in the Lord. We bring all that we have, but it's the strength that comes from the Lord. So that's the first one. I want you to remember and recognize and say to yourself, I can be strong in the Lord because he has won the victory. Too many Christians think it's the other way around. All right, number two, what else can we learn? I'm mindful of the time, I will press on. God provides his armour for us. Now, while I said that some scholars believe that Paul was using Roman soldiers as the basis for his metaphor. Other scholars, for which I actually tend to agree, postulate that Paul was actually uh, referencing the very armour that God himself puts on. Now, if you look at Isaiah 59, 17, this is what God said through the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah says this about God. God puts on righteousness as his breastplate. Remind you of anything? And the helmet of salvation on his head. Isn't that interesting? Now, Paul, of course, would have known these scriptures inside out. You know, I've got this book, The Christian in Complete Armor. I, uh, about 20 years ago, um, I bought this, and I did so on the basis that I was looking, uh, watching a guy called Leonard Ravenhill. Some of you might have heard of his name. Uh, he's passed on now, but he was an amazing evangelist um, in the day. And In fact, you can find on YouTube, an interview with him, one of his last interviews. And one of the questions was, could you recommend your top five books? By the way, that is a great way uh, to build up your uh, repository of books. You know, a man or woman of God that you respect and admire, find out what they're reading. It's a great thing to do. Anyway, Leonard Ravenhill said, if I were to recommend any book, it would be this one. The Christian in Complete Armour. This was written in the 17th century by a vicar in Suffolk. It is 1,700 pages long, and check out how small that print is. <whistles> Need glasses for that. This actually was a compilation of all his sermons. You know, we're going to be spending maybe six to eight weeks on this. He spent years on this subject. That's how much you can get from this passage. Uh, anyway, I'd love to tell you that I've read this from cover to cover, but I would be lying. Uh, I have dipped in and out. You can see I've got some of these. Um, But why do I share this? Because if you're saying to me, Mark, the reality is I'm not going to buy that book and I'm not going to read 1,700 pages. I get that. Can you provide a summary? Yes, I shall. (laughs) The summary really here is what he said so succinctly, which is this. By armour is meant Christ. Let me say that again. By armour is meant Christ. You know, Paul says in Romans, clothe yourself with the... Lord Jesus Christ. Was Paul not was Paul confused? Did he not realize that he's, you know, is it the armor, Paul, or is it Jesus? I can't, which one do I do? They're the same. You see, when we become new creations in Christ Jesus, then we put on the belt of his truth. We put on the breastplate of his righteousness, the sandals of his gospel of peace, the shield of his gift of faith, the helmet of his salvation, and the sword of his word it's his armor <laughs> God provides us with his armor how excited I'm, I'm, I'm so excited and guess what it fits you perfectly Have you've ever looked at gone to a museum and seen those old armors and, you, and they're like I'd never fit into that <laughs> God has a tailor-made armor for you that's from him And I am just so excited. I hope you're as excited as me. I just want to jump up and down right now. But over the next few weeks, we're going to look at how we can use that armour. But that leads me on to the the third point of truth from this. We have a choice whether we put on the armour. Now, listen to me. We too often think that when we become a Christian, we just sit back and wave a magic wand. We too often think that, well, you know, what's the point of praying? I mean, Jesus knows what I need. And this, this passivity, I can't even say the word, you know what I mean, but get passive. But Paul makes it very clear here. He doesn't say, finally, good news, uh, if you signed up for heaven, your armour should be delivered by Prime, Amazon Prime next week. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't say that. He says, put on, make a choice. And then he says, what? The whole armour of God. He doesn't say, you know what, if you fancy just the sword, use that. I get the breastplate might not be suited into your fashion style, so ignore that. He doesn't say that. He says, put on the whole armor of God. And I recognize that as I've been going through this, oftentimes I'll get used to using just one of these. You know, I'll be good at proclaiming the word, but but actually, what about his truth? Or what about peace? Or what about the helmet? And so what we're going to be looking at is how do we put it on? And how do we use it? But you need to make a choice and say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to put on the armour of God, your armour that you've made for me. And number four, as we bring this plane into land, prayer undergirds everything. Verse 18, and pray in the spirit on... There's this this word again, all. It's, it's, It's such a big word and yet so small, isn't it? All. And pray in the spirit on... All, say all. Occasions, thank you. With all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. I could have made a fifth point, but I didn't want to go to five. You know, as Christians, we need to be alert and aware. A soldier is alert, yeah? And always, he's saying it again, isn't he? Keep on praying for all the Lord's people as well. We should be praying for one another. You know, if you see a soldier down, you don't just leave them. This is how we are to live this life, to fight the battle, to run the race, is we put on the whole armor, but we pray always. And I suspect and I fear and I sense in my spirit that as we shift into new seasons, that one of the things the enemy will get you on is prayer. It's prayer. So that's it. Four things as a summary. Let me just look at them for you. We can stand strong because Jesus has won the victory. Number two, God provides his armour for us, tailor-made. Number three, we have a choice. Are you going to make that choice? Whether we put on the armour, not just the armour, the whole armour. And number four, prayer undergirds everything. And I want to end by saying this as well. If you're watching me, whether it be this morning or during the week. And you have yet to even say yes to Jesus. You're watching me and say, Mark, what is this victory that you talk about? Well, can I just tell you the first victory for you is victory over death, victory over the grave. What does that mean? It means that you can have eternity with Jesus. It means that you can be saved. Because, and I've said it before, the reality of hell is as real as heaven. You have an eternal choice whether you say yes to Jesus. And if that's you this morning, I want you to be able to say yes to Jesus. And if you feel, if you feel maybe your heart's beating fast. Or you're like, well, wow, this is too many times now someone said I need to say yes to Jesus. What does it mean? It means that you say, Jesus, I need you. You know, it says in the Bible that we're all sinners. All sinners saved by grace. What does grace mean? His unmerited favour. You know, if you think that your good works will get you to heaven, then I'm afraid that's not the case. And actually, that's quite freeing for you. You mean, you don't have to be good? No, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus was the perfect spotless lamb. And so it's just saying, you know what? I need you. Forgive me for my sins. I repent. What does repent mean? It means to turn away from that life and say, I want to walk with you, Jesus. I want to walk in the fullness that you have for me now and for eternity. And it means to acknowledge Jesus as your Saviour. Say, I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. And if that's you, put your hand up this morning and you pray that prayer. And our prayer team would love to pray with you. Hit the request prayer button or email us, prayer at thevineyardchurch.co.uk. But if you just prayed that prayer, if you said yes to Jesus, then I want to just celebrate with you for a new life and a new victory over the grave that you have just walked into.